Welcome to another edition of the Canzano and Wilner podcast. I'm John Canzano. You can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com right now. If you want sourced, in-depth reporting, that's where you're getting it. That's where I'm writing every day, delivered direct to your email inbox. I'm with the Bay Area News Group superstar, John Wilner. Wilner, tell them where to find you. Pac12hotline.com under the banner of the mothership, the Bay Area News Group. We got, I think we even have an end of summer sale going on right now for our hotline content. And we're also syndicated in every media market across the Pac 12. Plenty to write about where we starting here today. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Let's start with the news of the week. Uh, The Big Ten Conference, Fox, CBS, NBC. Rapid reaction on what you saw happen in those media rights negotiations. Uh, For people who don't know, ESPN, for the first time in 40 years, will not be part of the Big Ten. They will not carry Big Ten football. They will not carry Big Ten basketball. Um, What's your rapid reaction to that, Wilner? What am I going to do on Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific when I can't get Minnesota against Purdue on ESPN? (laughs) (laughs) Life is going to change. Uh, Look, it wasn't that big a surprise that ESPN – uh, is not involved, right? Especially given that Fox was sitting in on the negotiations and Fox and ESPN clearly are kind of staking out their territory. Uh, you know, I think on the whole, it is good for the Pac-12 because it is going to create more demand uh, on ESPN's part for, for Pac-12 content, right? ESPN, in theory, has got more broadcast windows to fill. I don't think it's a grand slam for the Pac-12 necessarily because the the key issue still to me is competition, right? The the Pac-12 needs another media entity, whether it is a traditional linear network uh, with with a you know a digital bundle or a big tech company. They need somebody to drive up that price with ESPN. Uh, so I think it's you know if, baseball term. I would say it's uh, you know probably a extra base hit for sure, but they still need competition. It's interesting. You know, everybody thinks about the grand slam, Wilner. They think about, they, they, we play the highlight. We see the guy hitting the home run. We don't think about the, you know, 14 pitch at bat that came two, two, two hitters earlier in which, you know, somebody drew a walk or somebody hit a single and, or beat out an infield hit. And, and it, so in my mind, this is setting the table. The fact that ESPN has its war chest intact as it approaches the negotiation with the Pac-12 is huge to me. It it gives you options. It gives you the ability, if you're the Pac-12, to maybe sell to them a little more than you had additionally initially had thought you were going to be able to sell. So I think the Pac-12 has a ton of inventory. It's got the Pacific time zone. It's got um, some attractive properties that, that uh, ESPN would be interested in. And you have now Fox, NBC, and CBS um, trying to form some competition for those late night windows. I think NBC is going to try to do kind of a college football night in America on a Saturday night, uh, you know, to put with their Sunday, uh, you know, football in America shows that they do. But I think ESPN is super motivated now to, you know, get with somebody who's got a bunch of packed you know, Pacific Coast time uh, windows available to them and try to create 
a win. And so to me, this isn't, I agree with you. It's not the grand slam, but I think you got a couple runners on here and George Kyavkov's on deck. And I think this is all good. If you were, let's just say as a viewer of PAC 12 content, would you prefer that the conference had a deal with ESPN, like the ACC and SEC do like all, all inclusive ESPN or is it better for you as a viewer if there are multiple network partners, whether it's a you know a package of games on NBC in the evening or potentially something on Amazon or Apple? Which would you rather see as a viewer? I, I think I want to see a little bit of a blend because I think the long term, like we all thought the streamers would be would play a bigger role, I think, at, at this point in in college sports and pro sports. And they're just starting to. You can see that, you know, they've got they, they put their toe in the water in the last cycle. Now they got their foot in the water and but they're not ready to be that tier one partner yet. So I, I think it would be um I think it would be advantageous for the conference to have a relationship with Apple or have a relationship with Amazon that hasn't been there before, but also have the bulk of your content be with the ESPN family. And let's not forget, Wilner, we are well aware of the East Coast bias in sports, right? How much of that do you think was caused by ESPN over the years having a dog in the fight? You know, they they essentially turned into an event company that you know, had relationships with the SEC and had, you know, they owned bowl games and we got all this bias that was thrown from the East Coast. I'm kind of wondering if being in a partnership with ESPN means that you're going to get some West Coast bias. You're going to get somebody banging the drum finally for the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, well, two things on that. One is that ESPN has, you know, for so long taken care of both sides of the of the equation, right? They have been the programmer and distributor and producer of sports events and they have also covered those events as a media organization so they are determining the narrative of the events they cover given how influential they are especially college game day you know it certainly it pays to be uh you know part of their part of their family. And I, I think back a decade ago when the PAC 12 went, you know, was not really, especially PAC 12 basketball was not really part of ESPN and how frustrated the PAC PAC 10 coaches were at that time that they never got any love from ESPN. Well, that's because they weren't on it. So, you know, at least this package for the, of media rights for the last decade, uh, PAC 12 basketball has been part of ESPN, but if you're not involved with ESPN, it's like you're sitting at the kid's table in terms of the narrative. And that narrative not only, uh, drives media coverage and, and playoff decisions and, and everything, but it also affects recruiting. And, you know, the, the people who are involved in the recruiting world, they pay attention to ESPN. So you, you have got to be a part of it. And the bigger part of it, you are probably, probably the better. I don't know if the Pac-12 should be exclusively with ESPN, all things being equal, but certainly uh, being the pr uh, a primary partner, it would be huge. I also think, you know, we've watched the Pac-12 CEO group, the presidents and the chancellors insist over the years that they were doing it the right way when it came to the Pac-12 network. I think a partnership with ESPN gives them an out. It, it gives them the opportunity to say, hey, look, we monetized the Pac-12 network because I think ESPN would love to have that content on ESPN+. And it gives those presidents an opportunity to save some face here and go, hey, look, we were right all along. But it also gives fans a win because I think the frustration was 
you know, twofold, right? The universities were upset because they weren't getting enough revenue and fans were upset because they couldn't watch the damn games. And so I think it solves the problem for everybody if ESPN is that primary partner. And I, and then I, I do want to see Amazon or Apple in there, if only because I think that is the future, right? And we're all looking at kind of where the evolution of this thing will go in five or 10 or 15 years. I would like to see a relationship with the Pac-12 and one of those entities because I think they're going to need it down the road. Well, sure. One of those entities could end up buying Disney. You never know down the road, right? It is interesting to think about Amazon, especially the, you know, I don't know exactly how involved Amazon was in the Big Ten negotiations. I get the sense that they were pretty serious about it. But if you think about what Amazon is and what Amazon wants, right? Hypothetically, if Amazon bought a sub package of Pac-12 football games, let's say it's it's one a week, it's on Prime, uh, it's not uh, Amazon Prime, it is not the number one game, but Amazon is buying that the rights to those games, not to broadcast those games, but to get, you know, to sell its merchandise to everybody who is watching, right? Because they got all the, they got all our credit card numbers, they got everything. So they're going to use that as a way to sell Amazon products. And if you think about, all right, Pac-12 markets, Seattle, Portland, the Bay Area, I mean, that seems to me like Amazon may have some interest because given the demographics and the wealth of those markets and how important they are to Amazon's business, you know, it might make sense that Amazon at least kicks the tires a little bit on some kind of very small package of Pac-12 football. Yeah, I'd love to see that. And, and frankly, like that, the great irony is, you know, Larry Scott justified the Pac-12 headquarters being in San Francisco because he was supposed to have all these relationships and lunch meetings with Apple and Google and all these people. And now the office closing up, uh, leave, it, leave it to George Klyovkov. Could he figure out, could he be the guy that finally connects the Pac-12 conference to a tech company while not yeah. having not having that? that headquarters sucking all that money out of the uh of the conference's pocket uh can we shift a little bit here to to some football I, let's I need, shift oh I that's talk right some football. football let's talk some football the non-conference games in your mind of course oregon is going to georgia on september 3rd dan lanning's first game utah is going to florida how important is it for the pac-12 to get some wins and strong showings in those non-conference games with all of this turmoil going on. It's funny that how that has shifted, right? Prior to June 30th, I would have argued that USC was the most important team for the conference this season and having a good year under Lincoln Riley because the Pac-12 was going to renegotiate its media rights after the season. And if SC had shown promise, that could uh, you know, increase the valuation for the whole conference. Now SC's out of that picture on future valuation. And so you wonder... You know, Oregon and Utah are key players in that at this point, and the timing may work, right? I think this negotiations for the Pac-12 is going to take up, you know, a couple months potentially. If if Oregon and Utah start off well, uh, win those those big early games, you know, that can't hurt the conference in terms of going when they go to the market to to sell their football product, right? And then you get the whole level of what it does immediately for playoff hunt and for, you know, the Pac-12's reputation this season alone. So to me, those two schools, especially, uh, there's layered importance to how they do this season. 
Yeah, and and I th- you know I keep thinking like of course there's a lot of hype around USC and Lincoln Riley and everybody's curious to see how he does, but you're right. Like you know you talk about what are the most important games? It's Oregon Georgia on September third. It's Utah Florida that same weekend in Gainesville, and then you probably look at you know Oregon playing BYU in week three, Arizona State uh, at Oklahoma State in week two. Uh, you go to like Washington State and Wisconsin that same week, that second week, and. Week three, it's Washington, Michigan State. Like, I'm still looking for a USC game, and I'm already reeling off five or six games that are vital to this conference. And I don't think Oregon can beat Georgia, right? I don't think, I don't see that happening. I I called Oregon over Ohio State last year. I don't see it in this one, but I think Oregon can play them uh, respectably. I think the biggest opportunity for this conference is Utah going to Gainesville and punching Florida in the nose. I think that would be a statement early on that this conference is not left behind. And, you know, if Utah somehow goes in there and loses or gets embarrassed, I think it is a it would be a bad loss for the conference because I think that's a middle-road SEC team against the team we all believe is going to be the conference champion. Yep. And just, just from a numbers standpoint, right, no two-loss team has ever gotten in the playoff. No team in the Pac-12 era has ever gone undefeated in conference play. So that tells you that if... If somebody, Utah, Oregon, whoever, they got to finish 13 and 0 or 12 and 1 to get in the playoff, and they're probably not going to win all their league games. So, Utah, if they lose at Florida, then, you know, they got to do what nobody's done, which is run the table in conference play in order to get in the playoff. And that, that seems like a pretty tall order. So, it's kind of the same thing as you, as Oregon last year. You got to win that big opener and then you got to play well. And, and, you know, Oregon couldn't get it done at Stanford. That was the big game that derailed them. Utah, if they can win in the swamp and, and you know just lose once somewhere, then they're going to be in the playoff. For people who want to read me, you can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. If you want to get Wilner, the Bay Area News Group does a fantastic job of promoting his content. It's exclusive. It's all sourced. It's well-reported. There's a lot of garbage out there in the footprint, Wilner. There's a lot of message board uh, heroes that uh, are throwing stuff out. And I I think it's the part of the reason why we came together in this podcast was to get sourced, well-reported commentary and news uh, available to Pac-12 fans who care about it. Like, I, I know that's part of my mission. How about you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's nothing. It, the truth is we decided to do this podcast together long before USC and UCLA left, decided to leave the conference. But there is no topic in college sports more complicated and more difficult to report on than realignment because there are so many layers to it. It's not just about the head coach or the athletic director. It's the school president. It's the trustees, the regents. It's the, the media networks. You know, it is so layered. There's so much misinformation out there. Uh, and we certainly have got a, a balancing act here ahead of us in these next few weeks and months, right? Because we can't ig- at all ignore the football season. It's huge, but we can't ignore this existential threat to the conference either. So uh, there is plenty, plenty for us to discuss. Where, where are we heading next here? All right. We're going to do some questions. Uh, if you have a question for Wilner and I, you can tweet at Wilner, at Wilner Hotline. You can tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. 
Uh, also, I want to remind you here, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Uh, you know, make a commitment to us. You know, th- this is free to you. We're providing this. Just all we ask in return is subscribe and give us some feedback. Rate the podcast. You like it, give it five stars. Give it a positive rating. It helps other people find it. That's how the algorithm works, I'm told. So, you know, give us that feedback and give us that rating. Make that commitment. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you are listening to this. Uh, but uh, I've got two questions, and I know you have a couple of reader questions or listener questions that you want to throw out there. But let's start first with this one. It comes from Joe. Joe wants to know, you know, everybody's picking Utah to win the conference. Everybody's talking about USC. But give us a sleeper team that could be a disruptor this season. Who comes to mind for you? I would, uh, well, it depends if you're considering UCLA a sleeper team, right? I think UCLA was picked what, third or fourth in the preseason media poll? Uh, and they won eight games last year. I don't consider UCLA you know, a, a sleeper disruptor, so to speak. Uh, to me, it would be Washington State or Oregon State. You know, the, the Cougars were, what, one game away from winning the North Division last year. Uh, so I, I kind of like them. I, I think they, there's a chance that the Cougars could finish somewhere in that top four here. Who, who do you like? Well, to your point, I think Cameron Ward at Washington State is going to be dynamite in that coup grade offense, that air raid coup grade, whatever they're calling it. Eric Morris's coordinator came over with him, but I think Cameron Ward's going to be special. And and everybody who's watching Oregon State practice right now is talking about their defense. And it has been a long time since I heard people talk about Oregon State's defense, but people are saying this defense is experienced. They've got some new players. They are better on the defensive line. Uh, This is an Oregon State team that pushed teams around on the offensive side of the ball a year ago. So look out for Oregon State and Washington State. I agree with you there. But I'm going to throw a different one out there. David Shaw went three and nine last year. He was embarrassed by that. He told me at Media Day that it was difficult. It was the most difficult season he has had at Stanford. He's got a quarterback in Tanner McKee. He's got big wide receivers. He's got a couple of tight ends. And he had a look in his eye on Media Day. You know, he's not a trash talker, but he said, I said, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel like we're a tiger lying in the weeds. There's something about that. I I would not be surprised in a season where outside of Utah, everybody's a little bit flawed. I would not be surprised if Stanford surprised people this year. And so I'm going to pick Stanford as my disruptor. Could Stanford, yeah, could they win eight or nine games? Maybe with that, with that offense. Maybe. Yeah. And their defense is going to have to play better than it did the last month, the last season when it was like, you know, steamrollered every week. Utah could have put 80 up on them. Uh, <laughs> no, but the thing is, he's got he's got arguably the best the best quarterback in the conference, certainly as a pro prospect. Tanner McKee is right now the best pro pro pos, uh, best quarterback. So if they can stay healthy, you know, that was a big issue last year. You kind of wonder, well, if there's a reversion to the mean on injuries. You know what? They they could end up getting up there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Cal, too, to me, if the quarterback plays better, they have lost a lot of close games over the years. Both Bay Area teams, I feel like, felt the impact from COVID last season as well. You know, just the the delayed impact because it was so they had so little practice, so little conditioning for so long that you do wonder if, if both those teams now with a full offseason behind them, could, could have better years than people expect. You got a question. Your turn. Go. Read this question. one is right up your alley. Uh, in fact, it is up your alley 
through your front door and it's sitting at your kitchen table for you. <laughs> this right. is from Almost Famous 412. How would you rank the strength and determination of the state legislatures in Washington, Oregon, and Arizona to ensure that their schools don't split up? And I don't know, maybe you know more about the Arizona situation than I do. I, I get the sense that uh, I'm not sure how, how tied Arizona and Arizona State are, but I know you know the Washington and Oregon situations. I've heard from lawmakers in Washington and Oregon who immediately after the USC UCLA thing went down, immediately started playing defense to that to that point. So I do think that they have the potential to have an impact. I don't think ultimately they could keep Oregon or Washington from leaving and going where to do what's best for them. But there's certainly like a lot of tentacles with, that people don't think about when it comes to f state funding and universities and. And, you know, the lawmakers in Oregon, I, I, I talked to Peter Courtney, who is the longtime president of the of the state Senate. And he's the you know, he's the biggest lawmaker in the land here in Oregon. And he is totally invested in this. He is in contact with the president at, at Oregon and the interim president at Oregon State. And I talked to lawmakers in Washington, who same thing. So everybody's trying to play defense. But I kind of feel like that's the last line. That's the last resort, as we're seeing with the UC system and UCLA. You don't want it to come to that. So I think there's some things that you could do in front of it that you know would, would help avoid getting to that situation. And I think one of the things that's on the table absolutely right now is not uh, unequal revenue sharing of media rights within the conference, but the potential that the college football playoff payouts that Oregon and Washington have garnered for this conference, like they're the only two teams that have made the playoff, those payouts moving forward may not be split evenly among the members. And I think that is a bigger incentive for Oregon and Washington to sit tight because an expanded playoff with a new TV deal, I think those playoff payouts could push towards 40, 50, 60 million dollars a year for the participating universities. And if that happens, um, you know, you could talk about, hey, instead of having to split that 10 or 12 ways, you get 50% of it and then the rest of the conference splits the rest. That could be a massive equalizer for Oregon, Washington, and some of the programs that invest more heavily in football and in men's basketball. And they're also talking about the potential for NCAA tournament units to, to be awarded to the school that earned them for the conference. So I think that kind of stuff is probably better defense than relying on some lawmaker who's upset and probably has better things to do. Yeah, they're going to have to get a little bit creative when it comes time to figure out the contract situation, right? Because some of those schools, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, they're not going to want to sign long-term deals. So how can the conference shape an agreement that kind of gives the, uh, the Northwest schools what they want uh, in revenue and flexibility and maybe give the four corner schools some stability. It's going to be real interesting on that front. And, you know, we'll get, we might get a little bit of a peek into how the legislatures would, would uh, respond in Oregon and Washington next week. UCLA's report on it, the move to the, the, the UC University of California office of the president is going to submit a report to the UC regents on UCLA's move to the big 10. That is next Wednesday, August 17th. There's going to be an open session of the UC Regents and then a closed session. And we should, after that, get a little bit better view of, of how the state uh, 
agencies are going to respond to UCLA's move. And that that could give us a little bit of of insight into what might happen in Oregon and Washington and even Arizona, right? I don't think that the UC regents are going to stop the Bruins, but I do think that they could hit them financially, potentially make them subsidize Cal. They do. My understanding is that those uh, the regents do have uh, authority over uh, media rights contracts. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if UCLA has to subsidize Cal in some way and, and what impact that might have. One wild thing that has been out there a little bit in I asked uh, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov about was the idea that, you know, when he is approaching potential media partners like ESPN, is he asking them to include a valuation that includes UCLA as part of the conference? Is he asking them for that? He wouldn't answer that for me. And, and I'm taking that to mean that, yes, he is putting that out there. He kept, remember on media day, he said we'd welcome him back with open arms as he's taken shots at the Big Ten and the in the Big Twelve, he was you know leaving the door open for UCLA, and so I think there there could be there could be a scenario, and it's a wild scenario, and I give it like a two percent chance of succeeding, but there could be a scenario in which the conference gets a valuation from ESPN that includes UCLA, offers UCLA some kind of financial incentive to come back to the conference, leaves the door open. The UC Regents, uh, you know, penalize UCLA to the point where it gives them pause. Maybe it's not going to stop them, but at least they pause. And I think you have to get that answer from UCLA. Like, are you sure you're going before you move on with expansion or anything else? You know, you're big on point spreads. I would I would say that what I'm throwing out there is like an 18 point underdog uh, to come through. But I still think if you're in the Pac-12, you've got to turn to UCLA. And go look. You're you're catching hell from the Regents. Uh, we included a valuation with ESPN that pushes you uh, towards fifty million dollars a year. Are you sure you want to go? Right. Well, and especially if they have to subsidize Cal a certain amount, then all of a sudden, you know, you got a they're taking a haircut on whatever revenue they're getting from the Big Ten. You know, I I think eighteen. Uh, yeah, maybe I would even say it should be three touchdowns. I I have a hard time believing it'll happen. I, I'm not saying it won't. In realignment, anything can happen because again, there are so many layers involved. Right? We're talking about regents. We're talking about media partners. Uh, I, I extremely unlikely. But if you're the Pac-12, you have got to you have got to account for every possibility that you can think of, and then you need to think of everything that doesn't make any sense at all. And account for those possibilities too. Question. Pete says, how do you rate or grade George Klyovkov given the first year of his tenure and what has happened since that anniversary date? How do you rate Klyovkov at this point, Wilner? Boy, um, I'm going to kind of try to parse that a little bit, right? Three, first 364 days uh, of his tenure, probably close to an A, but you know, the UCLA and USC thing happened on his watch. There's got to be some accountability for it. Uh, and now it's what, what can he, you know, what kind of meatball surgery is he going to be able to perform here to, to get the conference to, to hold together. So I would say he got a, you know, maybe an A, but that was, you know, the, that was a test, right? We got the final exam coming up here. So I would say incomplete at this point, uh, but it will be very interesting to see what he's able to come up with, right? This is, you know, he's got a lot of experience 
uh, in the business world with with media deals, and he's going to have to lo- rely on every every shred of of that experience to figure something out here. Entertainers will tell you that the, it, it's very important who opens for you. you. You need good energy in the room. You don't want them to outdo you, but you need you need somebody who's going to be a good lead in. Uh, I think George Klyovkov benefited from the fact that Larry Scott was a mess. And, you know, all he did was go around in that first year and shake hands and kiss babies and spend the night in Pullman and Corvallis and make everybody feel included and important. And I think it was really smart of Klyovkov. I also think like the bar was pretty low and Larry Scott did that. Um, And I had one AD say George had one job, keep USC in the fold. He had one job and, you know, that AD was upset by it. But I don't know what USC was telling George Klyovkov. I don't know if Carol Folt was looking him in the eye and going, hey, we're committed and we shouldn't be exploring expansion. We should be focused on our own conference and we have these media rights deals coming up and while simultaneously preparing, you know, USC's exit to the to the Big Ten. So I, I don't know what if you can blame him if he was lied to, if if that's how it went down. So I I kind of agree with you. I, I really liked the opening act. I liked what he did in that first cycle and how include, included everyone felt. And he was it, he was a unifier and the conference needed a unifier. But now they need that executive that was working at Hulu and in, in the infancy at Hulu and working at NBC Universal and working at MGM Sports and Entertainment. They need that guy now. And so I when he was hired, I don't know about you, Wilner, but I had to Google him. I was like, who is this? Who's this guy? Like he, he did. He wasn't on my radar. And as I Googled him, I got a sense of what the conference presidents and, and chancellors were thinking. They were forecasting, we're going to need somebody who is creative and innovative and in this entertainment and media space in a way that you know we've never seen before. And I think the Big 12 did a very similar hire with Brett Yormark. And I think it was interesting that Turnkey was the search firm on both of those searches. So they, they presented candidates that were from the same genre. Um, so I want to see what George is about now. And I think this is where he earns his grade. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. You do, though, wonder, let's say it's June 1st and Carol Folt, the USC president, goes goes to him, goes to the conference and says, we got an offer from the Big Ten for what's going to average out to be about $100 million a year in revenue, which is you know, twice as much as we're going to get in the Pac-12. And that's going to give us stability uh, into the next era of college football when the playoffs going to expand, when athletes are going to get treated like employees, uh, you know, try to stop us. What can you do to make us stay? What could the Pac-12 have done when USC is looking at that much money and that much stability and getting to play, you know, be paired with Ohio State and Michigan? I, I don't think there's anything that could have been done, right? Uh, I agree with you that that was you know, his one job, but I also think that the stage was set long ago for that one job to basically be impossible. Yeah, I think you have to at some point rely on you know, the people in the room and, and you know, what they believe. Um, and if they're looking at you in the eye and telling you one thing, I don't know what you can do. And I just think at this point, you know, David Shaw said it on Media Day. He felt like there would be a course correction. Do you think a decade from now, 15 years from now, you could see USC and UCLA back in the Pac-12? 
No, but I could see the most of the Pac-12 in the Big Ten, right? I mean, I think that the most likely scenario, and the question to me is whether it's going to happen in the next two or three years or not until, you know, the 2030s, is there's going to be a 20 to 24 team Big Ten conference, and it's it's going to probably include Washington, Oregon, the Bay Area schools, right? There's going to be a Western arm, but we don't know. That could be a long, long way off. And that's that gets back to part of the calculation the Pac-12 has to make right now with its grant of rights agreement is, you know, long-term commitment, flexibility, stability, all those issues. Yeah. You know, a news story that broke on, um, you know, essentially while we're recording this podcast, Northwestern has now announced Michael Schill, the Oregon president as the new president at Northwestern. He's going to the Big Ten Conference. Um, I find like Oregon State in the middle of this of this uh, whole fiasco has been at a disadvantage because they haven't had a university president. How do you think the absence of a university president, as Oregon will now be looking to make a hire, will affect um, the, the Oregon uh, contingent in this. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly there's this is going to lead to a ton of speculation that Oregon is going to be joining the the Big Ten in the next couple of months for sure, right? Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Pac-12 responds to that and how how Shill himself uh, handles that. You know, I don't think Oregon is at a disadvantage like like Oregon State with without a a sitting president, permanent president, right? Because Oregon has got. The, the brand power of the football program is such that they're going to be, you know, helping to call the shots in the conference no matter what. I mean, Phil Knight, right? They got Phil Knight and they got they got the, the Oregon brand and all those TV TV ratings and the playoff appearance. So they're they're going to be fine with show, without show, with an interim. Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't think things are going to change that much. All this could do is potentially uh, you know, fuel at least speculation for sure that Oregon's going to go to the Big Ten soon. I don't know. I have no idea on that front. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, Northwestern isn't like the hotbed of athletics. I mean, he's as far away from college athletics as he can possibly get if he's at Northwestern. I like Shill. I He wasn't a diehard sports guy, but, you know, he rose, I think, in the Pac-12 hierarchy to become you know, he was on that executive committee. He was the chair of the CEO group in the last cycle. I think there were, you know, you know, I talked to him frequently over the years, and I think he was a guy that was learning sports. I wonder if this is about him going to Northwestern to, you know, because it's an academic move, or I wonder if there's part of him that feels a little disillusioned by like fans are right now with what they see on the landscape of college athletics. Like, you know, just if I can divert a little bit from this, Wilner, like be a fan a little bit. Like how how difficult has it been to watch what's happening in this conference and on the landscape of college athletics? You know, I still part of me still doesn't believe what happened on June 30th. But the, the piece that I think about a lot is the the repercussions down the food chain. Right. So there's consolidation with the Big Ten and the SEC and major college football. Right. What impact does that have on all the student athletes who are at these schools in the Olympic sports, right? Because the money's got to come from somewhere and it's not going coming from the engineering department. So if Cal 
or Oregon State or Arizona, Colorado, right? If their media rights uh, or, or pick the schools, you know, Oklahoma State, NC State, whatever, any school that's not in the Big Ten or the SEC, if their media rights drop by 25%, 30%, 40% because of consolidation in the next couple of years, you know, that impacts their revenue and that impacts the ability to fund, you know, 15, 20 Olympic sports and all those athletes that, that are there, right? So you wonder, is this going to lead down the road to a lot of sports getting defunded, right? Uh, because that money, you know, the presidents are not going to approve, you know, money going from uh, academics over to, to athletics to compensate for the lost media rights revenue. Those those sports are just going to go out of business, essentially. It's, it gets back to the ridiculous model of college athletics where you have e each university has two money-making subsidiaries that are asked to support 16 or 20 money-losing subsidiaries. Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to one AD within the conference, and I said, how do you compete with the Big Ten and the SEC when they are getting 20, 30, 40 million dollars more than you, whatever it ends up being? And he said, look, we were facing that anyway. We were doing it anyway. And the AD did not believe that conference members would uh, fall further behind. He, he just said, look, what it really means is those non-revenue generating sports are not going to be funded in the way they were. It's not like the Pac-12 universities are going to stop funding football, but they may not invest in track and field or wrestling or gymnastics in the way that they did previously. So I think this media deal is really important just to kind of take a 20,000 foot view of it. And I am disillusioned and a little bothered by the lack of tradition, geography, the destruction of college athletics as we see it. All right. You got another question? I do. This is from Rebar619. Is there any concern within the Pac-12 that the Big 12 may be aggressive and add San Diego State before the Pac-12 does? So, you know, I thought this was a good a good question for us to kind of touch on the the expansion potential for the Pac-12 and also just the, the strategic decisions that are going to be involved here, not just in playing offense, but potentially in playing defense. Yeah, I think I think that's a real concern because if you're the Big 12, that's the move, right? It's not poaching uh, you know, Colorado or Arizona. It's it's what's the Pac-12 going to do? Oh, we're going to beat them to the punch and we're going to take San Diego State before they can. So if you're San Diego State, I think you're sitting in a nice position because I think ESPN would be awfully interested with the LA schools gone from the Pac-12. They'd be awfully interested in getting the 1.1 million TV households in Southern California that are in that San Diego region. I also think Klyovkov kind of foreshadowed on media day the, uh, you know, that they're going to play games in LA. Well, San Diego State's been playing in LA while their stadium's being constructed. They have, you know, they don't have the following of USC or UCLA, but they've got a little bit of a footprint in that LA market. And I think you could see a game every year that's played at SoFi Stadium and San Diego State's playing in it, and it could be a big game. I also think they fit. They they just fit. They've been competitive with the Pac-12 schools. The university presidents in the Pac-12, I don't think, would look down their nose at San Diego State. But I'm having a hard time, Wilner, finding that second partner. I keep coming back to UNLV, but only because I could see it's a speculative play. You're betting on Vegas continuing to grow. You're betting on UNLV growing into that NFL stadium. You're betting on the you know the betting partners themselves coming in with sponsorship dollars. But that's the only way I would take UNLV. I can't find another partner. I don't I don't love SMU 
because it's just got a postage stamp, you know, footprint in Texas. It's it's tiny. So I'm either taking San Diego State and either UNLV or I'm going after somebody like Houston that the Big 12 is going to welcome in and or I'm going after, um, you know, uh, maybe maybe stealing a, a team, another team from the Big 12 conference. But I think the likely scenario and you raise this on Twitter. I think the likely scenario is that it becomes the Pac-11 and you only take San Diego State. Yeah, if you don't have football divisions, it's not as big a deal, I think, to have an odd number of teams, right? So the conference certainly is going to have to decide it. You know, I don't know that San Diego State is going to raise the value, the you know, the dollar value for the other 10 schools, but certainly, uh, you know, it's going to help in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that you have to have a campus within, you know, easy drive of Southern California just for your presence on the recruiting trail and that kind of thing. They cannot afford to let L.A. go to the Big Ten and San Diego go to the Big 12. That that to me would be a disaster scenario in terms of the, the talent pipeline. But, you know, if, if San Diego State is the only one that really fits, then you just take them. There's no rule that says you have to have – an even number of teams uh, if you don't have, especially if you don't have football divisions. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting and, and you don't need, we've, I've been stuck on, you know, two teams coming in. I think there's a real chance they take none or one. Uh, I think that's probably more likely than two at this point. The thing they're going to have to do, and they probably already have done this is they're going to have to go through every word in those big 12 bylaws to figure out it, what the Big 12's exit fee situation is, right? I mean, I've read the bylaws and it says, you know, two years basically of revenue, which would uh, equate to $80 million, right? But I'm not sure that or that Oklahoma and Texas are planning on paying $80 million uh, in exit fees, right? And exit fees for those who are listening, you know, there's grant of rights, which is your media rights, but then there's also, there can be an exit fee as well. Those are two separate things. And Pac-12 needs to take a hard look at what the, the exit fee situation is with the Big 12, especially, like you said, as it relates to Houston. We don't know what documents Houston signed. We don't know if Houston is right now on the hook for a, a traditional exit fee from the Big 12. So I'm sure the Pac-12's lawyers are looking into that. It's just one more piece of this whole thing and, and a, a reason why, you know, if the conference is serious about expanding, it's a reason why this process could very well go into October. I mean, the Big Ten has been doing their media deal since, what, February or March, and they're just wrapping it up now. So, you know, Pac-12 could easily get deep into the football season before we know what's going to happen. I love this. I want people to subscribe to this podcast. Give us feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, fire your questions at us at John Canzano BFT on Twitter for me at Wilner Hotline for the Bay Area News Group's John Wilner. Uh, we will be back with another episode. Wilner, any parting thoughts before we uh, before we go? I mean, the news is breaking so fast. Uh, I have, I can't even imagine what we're going to have to have to talk about next week. You know, between what's going on on the field and what's going on off the field. Uh, who knows? We, it could be something neither of us has even conceived of at this point. John Wilner, I appreciate you. I love doing this podcast with you. And thank you for listening.